Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello, and welcome back to Unstruct. In this episode, I talk with Roger Krulak and David Farnsworth. So Roger is the founder and principal at Full Stack Modular, and David is a structural engineer principal at Arup in New York City. So we actually talk about Full Stack Modular or modular construction as it pertains to projects that these two have worked on together. So they have actually worked on some pretty fascinating projects. Most notable to me anyway, are the ones that stood out to me are a few projects located in the New York City area that are actually 20 to 30 stories tall and modular constructed. So one of the really cool things about modular construction is that it allows for these pods to be fully constructed off-site. Sometimes even furniture is installed off-site and then shipped to the site and lifted into place one after the other and connected. So it's super cool. It actually cuts down the construction time by half sometimes. One of the questions going into this interview that I had was just the merger of kind of the manufacturer and the structural engineering side of things. So how that comes together, how are both sides their requirements met. So the structural engineering requirements, how are they upheld? And then also the manufacturing side of things. Are we ensuring that these are able or constructible, I guess. So the cool thing about the relationship between Arab, David, and Roger is that they have worked together on numerous projects. So they have a system down that satisfy both of their requirements very well. Another one of my big questions was scope of services. Where is the structural engineer scope of services with something like this? Is it involved, you know, in the manufacturing facility where they are putting together the pods or is it just a 
foundation situation where they are just the foundation structural engineer of record. So it's really interesting to kind of dig into the specifics of this and kind of see where that responsibility lies as far as scope of work performed. Just really cool just how they have this great working relationship and communication. And what ends up happening is that they are able to construct these modular buildings that are sometimes, like I said, 20 to 30 stories tall and still satisfy the structural requirements, even such things as support that's required for high seismic zones. So they have a special system that kind of fits in between the units that is able to resist high seismic loads for these tall structures. So I found that very fascinating. And we also talked about, you know, kind of what project delivery is best. So design build is kind of the way that it needs to go with something like this, but very fascinating that they're able to cut the construction time down so much. It really is like, Lego pieces going together. So with that, I am just going to hand it over to Roger and David and let them kind of explain the system, explain full stack modular, and really just dive into the specifics of this type of construction. Roger and David, thank you so much for being here today. So Roger, if maybe you could just describe what full stack modular is and what modular construction is. I know that's the million dollar question and it's probably not a super easy, simple answer, but if you could maybe just start off just describing what modular construction means to you and to full stack. Gary, thank you so much for having us on. And let me start out with a sort of modular is an interesting term and unfortunately is not descriptive. So let me explain that. And I'll just give you some examples. I mean, things that are considered modular, I mean, curtain walls are considered modular, panelized wall systems are considered modular, certain kinds of installation of finished wall systems are considered modular like showers. And then there is sort of a traditional wood modular volumetric construction that happens all over the country that's sort of in a little more mature state. But what full stack modular does is we design and manufacture a fully volumetric modular system specifically focused on mid to high rise buildings or mostly focused on that. And what that means for full stack and in our system is actually the Singaporeans call it prefabricated, prefinished volumetric construction, which is a better descriptor of what we do, but not complete. And then what full stack does is we put the facade on our system is all of the uh, structural requirements for the building, all the associated connections. And David could talk about that in a little bit. All the flooring's installed, all the lighting's installed, all the mechanical, electric, and plumbing is fully distributed. All the stairs are in, all the elevator shafts are in, all of the fire safing is in. So it's basically a rector set that looks like Legos. Stack it up, put it together, put all of those connection pieces, which we call either mate line or stitching together, and you have a building sitting on top of whatever it is that our system is designed to sit on top of. Okay. That's a pretty good explanation of what full stack does and what modular construction is. 
Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense and really clears up some things. I think things such as, you know, curtain wall and panelized construction has been around for a long time. And I think sometimes the definition of modular construction gets limited by those things that we know and that we're used to. So it's awesome to learn a bit more about the capabilities. So as far as the volumetric pieces, what would be kind of a standard size or an average size of what these volumetric pieces are? So as I told you, we're specifically focused on mid-rise multifamily. So that's sort of what drives our typical design, which is not the only design. So let's talk max max. You're basically 16 by 58, which is the maximum you can transport over land and still be legal to transport over land. But our mods don't generally come out that size. Uh, nominally, our mods are generally somewhere between 10 and 14 feet wide and somewhere between 25 and 37 feet deep, depending on a couple of things, what type of product it is, if it's micro units or a hotel or full apartment buildings. And then the way that our modular system is created is, is that there is a mod that carries the hallway as part of the mod and then one that attaches to it across the hall in a double loaded corridor talking about now, which is a the normal process for us. So, so the one carries the hallway at five feet or six feet times the total length, max total length, 32 feet. Generally, you don't go much wider than five or six. So that's sort of the long side of our mods. And then the shorter side would be anywhere from, you know, 25. So 25 to 37, basically 10 to 14 feet wide. Okay. Long answer, but that's a, that's pretty accurate. Like in a one bedroom in a multifamily, you might have two modules that make up a one bedroom apartment where you'd have like a bedroom and a bathroom and one module and you'd have a kitchen and a living room and another module. So the whole apartment isn't contained in one module necessarily, but rather made up of multiple modules. Unless it's a studio or a hotel room. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fascinating. So then there's the mate line between the two. And then I'm guessing the modules stack vertically on top of each other so that you have load bearing elements that stack all the way down. Is that kind of the intention? Ideally. <laughs> Ideally. I mean, structurally, we've pushed pretty hard to have them align, but uh, use-wise, there is some ability to vary a bit as long as it's organized correctly. You know, for instance, if you have lots of one bedrooms on the first floor and then, you know, on the first few floors, and then you want to switch to two bedrooms and you're going to drop a bathroom off, that's pretty easy. But if you want to have offsets as to how that's happening, that creates in a sort of modular conundrum. Yeah, we definitely like the module width to stack up, up the height of the building. And we do have numerous precedents of instances where we'd have like setbacks, you know, along the facade direction. So sometimes the module length will accommodate a setback, you know, whatever, three quarters up the height of the building. Okay. So like a reveal with a cantilever type of situation to give it some interest on the exterior. Gotcha. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Roger, you had mentioned that it's kind of like an erector set and putting these pieces together. So Let's talk about that. I mean, I want to get into the design as well, but I think it's very interesting and intriguing as to how the construction of this all happens. So are all of the elements modular? Like is the elevator core, is that something that's put in place first or how does that work and where does it stop? Like a foundation, is that done by someone else? Like if you could maybe just walk through kind of that construction process and either one both of you guys feel free to chime in wherever you feel appropriate let me start big picture and then i'll let david talk into the specifics so big picture the 
full stack modulars solution and answer is give us something to sit on some foundation metals concrete whatever it is floating barge doesn't really matter <laughs> give us something to sit on and then everything from that point up into and through the parapet are all mods and so we don't have any concrete core that we're attaching to. Everything is a modular solution, part of full stack modular system. And I'll let David explain what all those systems are. And then you put on a roof and drop in the elevator and then use all those connection pieces to stitch everything together and you have a building. So yes, elevator cores, stairwells, stairways, you know, fire sprinkler distribution, mechanical distribution, plumbing distribution, all comes as either complete systems and the connection pieces to connect all of those kits, what we, you know, mateline kits together. That's what we do. And the reason we are sort of part of the design side of the solution, because all those pieces need to be coordinated intelligently. Now, I hand it over to David to talk about what elements are in our system and why it works and how it works, et cetera. Okay. Yeah, so, so as Roger mentions, we can either design the foundation ourselves if, if we're brought in at the start of the project, or we can work with a, the owner's engineer who would design the foundation and we'd you know provide the interface details for what the specific support conditions are needed you know, for, for how we're going to set our modules on what we generally call the plinth or the foundation. A lot of times like the program on the, on the ground floor of, of a multifamily apartment building might be retail, certainly in an urban environment and might might want to have, you know, a bit more open space or a taller headroom than, than what we typically accommodate with our modules. And so you could build a concrete foundation and a basement structure and then build a one-story, you know, steel or concrete ground floor kind of space. And then we could come and start setting modules on top of that. And we've worked with, with Roger and his team to develop integrated lateral systems into the modules themselves. So the modules are the lateral system. They're, they carry both the gravity loads and lateral loads down to the down to the plinth or the foundation level, up to you know various heights of buildings, depending on the wind load conditions and the seismic conditions. And then we've also developed a secondary bracing system, which is we typically use separate site-built brace frames that are integrated into the, the space between the modules. So like if we had a double loaded corridor bar building, we might have two brace fr- and, and say we wanted to go above 20 stories, we can typically get up to about 20 stories in a non-seismic application with just the modules alone. But if we wanted to do a 35 story module tower, we might have two separated brace frames in each direction, you know, that we basically spaced pair of adjacent modules apart, usually whatever, about 20, 22 inches apart in order to fit a brace frame in between the modules. And that brace frame is becomes like the spine for the building and it resists lateral loads for the high-rise applications. Is that only required at the lower levels then, the brace frames? If we do a th- like a 30-story building, we'll take the brace frame all the way up through the module levels. Okay. And then the modules no longer have to, you know, do the lateral work and they become gravity-only modules and, and they laterally tie back to the to the brace frame. One of the things that we'll talk about later on when we discuss the way the modules are connected together is... We typically, on full stack system, we use the roof of each module level as the lateral diaphragm that gets bolted together and, and tied back to the brace frame if we're in a high rise configuration. And if we're in a, in a mid to low rise configuration, then the modules are their own lateral system and we still connect the modules together and use the, the roof of every module as the diaphragm to tie the whole building together and make it work as one. But those diaphragm forces really go down because 
every module has its own you know lateral system so there's not a lot of shear getting moved around through the through the diaphragm but i think one thing worth noting david said site built but the reality is, is it's part of our system and it's it's in situ so it's bolted together exactly like our mods in the exact same process uh, and david talked about it later but i just wanted people to be aware it's like it's not that we build this cage that we're putting all the mods in it's just part of the bolt together system that creates the, you know the lateral support system and the gravity it's erected you know with the modules so you know each floor you don't you don't erect the whole thing you don't erect that whole brace frame you know up basically the brace frame is is, is effectively attached to the side of the module and relies on the module to stabilize it out of plane you know there are other modular manufacturers that will do like a concrete core and they'll have you know the base building contractor you know build the foundations and and extrude a concrete core and then stack modules around that but but we like the the idea of sticking with similar you know steel systems so that the same steel fabricator who's fabricating the modules can be fabricating the brace frames they can have an integrated you know tecla model that does all of the detailed coordination and just generally get better results of everything lining up when it's you know kind of sole source geometry control with with one trade sure it seems like it would go faster too yeah it's very fast yeah and that's kind of my next question i guess so since we're on the construction side of things and you know like right now with sustainability being such a big thing that we all need to be paying attention to and carbon output, a lot of that occurs during the construction phase. So for like a 20, 20, 25 story building, how much is the construction schedule condensed because of the system? Yeah, I mean, if you follow the process and share the agency with the system, you can cut the design build time in half, if you do. And that's a big caveat because if you don't, then you're going to spend a lot of time on the upfront trying to resolve solutions. The one thing worth noting about the design build side of using a system is that the earlier you commit to it, the more effective it is. And so if you all collectively, architect, engineer, developer, agree that they're going to use a modular system and how it's going to work, you can cut the design and construction time in half. And that's significant. On a sustainability side, we watch and follow ILFI standards for highly sustainable, obviously very tight building envelopes, and then obviously can go as sustainable or passive or low carbon footprint as you would like to pick a nomenclature. And we certainly have, as a result of the fact that we're building it in a factory, pretty ease of creating measuring devices to give feedback for all those things. Because I think as a industry, we're sort of at the, how do we measure this effectiveness and how do we get feedback so we know what's working? And at full stack, that kind of stuff is just part of the process. It's easy. Sure. So when these volumetric pieces are shipped out, what is the level of finish? Is it fully finished on the inside or is there a certain phase where, you know, maybe, you know, it's to a certain point and then someone is coming in and doing the finishing touches? Like what's the level of completion when it's shipped out? Great question. So ideally we do everything installed in the factory all the finishes all the accessories for hotels we'll do the furniture and then if there are as david mentioned earlier two mods that make up one unit and there's say a doorway between we'll send the door all of the trim work that's called a mate line kit where you put it all together the idea is to keep the trades out of 
the finished spaces. And my dream is to have pre-occupied buildings, right? That everybody could just move in and then we could we could stack them up and put them together and they would be at their right apartment location. And it is sort of a dream, but I actually think we could get pretty close. We could certainly move their furniture and stuff, all their clothes and all their appliances and stuff and just put it in the mod before it gets installed without a problem. So they're they're finished enough to occupy once you've connected all the mechanical systems. A lot of times we we try to keep the mechanical, you know, risers and piping adjacent to a central corridor, so that the you know the one area of the building that isn't completely finished in the factory is the is the center hallway, and so that's the space that you have the access to make the mechanical connections vertically between units. And ideally, you can lock the door to the unit so that the site workers don't even go into the unit at all, and they're working from the hallway. Gotcha. Okay, very fascinating. Okay, so I want to get into the design a little bit more. I know, David, you've kind of talked about that. And you actually touched on one of the big questions that I had, which is, you know, by nature with, you know, like a multifamily type of building structure, those lower levels typically want larger, more open floor plans. So thank you for getting into that a little bit and just, you know, describing that, you know, it's possible to kind of do that part on site and then start stacking everything up above. But the question that I have is for the modular units, is it typically comprised of steel or what does that actual structural system look like around the perimeter of each unit? Yeah, so the full stack system, we utilize tubular steel construction. So we'll have, you know, depending on the height of the, of the building, we'll have tubular steel corner columns, and then we'll have tubular steel perimeter cords at both the floor and the ceiling level. And then between those tubular, you know, steel perimeter cords, we utilize a, a light gauge framing, right? So we'll use light gauge joists and uh, usually a, a three-quarter inch mentitious particle board as the subfloor. And that system spans, you know, the whatever, 10 to 14 feet across the module. At a minimum, we'll have four corner columns on each module, you know, and if the module's greater than like 22, 23 feet long, then oftentimes we'll go with a, with an intermediate column as well. In other modular projects, we've utilized some, you know, kind of truss framing on the side of the module in order to do longer spans. But the most optimum solution that we've that we've landed on for kind of mid-rise is usually like a six-column module. So there's usually a, a a column along the middle of the side of the module in order to keep those tubular steel side cord framing sizes down, right? So a lot of times on the mid-rise market, our competitor is a you know a flat slab building, and and we manage to you know really want to keep our floor to ceiling sandwich as compact as possible in order to maximize the number of floors we can fit in a particular site. Gotcha. So is that mechanical going through the floor and ceiling space? For most of our uh, product typologies, the mechanical you know systems fit underneath the ceiling space. So there's a we utilize a membrane fire protection strategy, usually using multiple layers of, of jip board in the ceiling. And then the three quarter inch subfloor is, you know, forms a like an integrated uh, kind of fire sandwich, right? And so we keep, we keep the penetrations through that space dead down to a minimum. And so we'll have a second like drop ceiling over a bathroom area, which works with Roger's fabrication strategy of using bathroom pods quite well. You know, and if there's ducting that needs to get to the perimeter facade, we'll build out a soffit, you know, below that fire rated ceiling line in order to, you know, get a corner soffit running out, you know, to the facade. And that can be used to, you know, distribute any ducting that's needed for HVAC strategies as well. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. 
Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything, from reporting your hours directly to the AIA, to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Okay, and what is the thickness of the wall system? typically? It depends on what you're talking about. Like if you're talking about the walls uh, room to room, mostly they're standard sort of three and five A studs with a gypsum board. But as David said, column locations. So depending on how you design the system, there will be a bump out where that column is potentially. But uh, it's generally, you know, two, three and five A walls with a one inch gap between them. Yeah, depending on whether it's one hour rated or two hour rated, it could either have one layer of gyp on the inside face of each of those walls or two. So it works out to be like, what is it, Roger? Like anywhere between seven and a half to nine and a half inches total thickness for two mods adjacent to each other to get from, say, one mod to another mod. The good news is, is that's really the whole system. So there's really nothing else in the building. No big columns uh, landed anywhere. No, I mean, you just basically have the module system, which is carrying all the gravity load and potentially this, you know, the moment connection, the lateral load as well. Yeah. So it sounds like if it's more of a mid-level situation, then it's really like a standard shear wall then at that point, right? At each one of the units with the drywall on the steel studs. Yeah, it's just you might have two walls adjacent to each other. And that enables you to, you know, finish both and weather protect both for shipping. So, you know, definitely the best module type is one when you've got kind of, you know, walls all the way around it, because that maximizes the amount of work that you can pre-finish in the factory. Okay. There are instances where we have, you know, two mods that are put together that have no wall in between them. And then you have to finish the ceiling and the floor joint, you know, on site. But that's a bit more work than just putting up a door jam and hanging a door. Yeah, so totally possible, but we encourage the design team to minimize that for times when there's big impact because there's there's additional cost and more on-site work. Totally achievable, but not necessarily a value proposition depending on how much of it you use. Sure. So as you're stacking these units vertically, do you have to increase the column spacing and or size as you get down to the lower levels? Yeah, so... It depends on the size of the building, and but yeah, on a, on a high-rise configuration, you know what we typically try to do is design the the exterior dimensions of the column to remain consistent, and then vary the thickness as you go down, so that the module, you know, as far as the people putting the module together are concerned, it's you know the same module, you know, kind of up the height. It's just there's different thicknesses for the steel thickness. I think what David's saying is that the tubes are generally yeah, the tubes are generally the same size, but the buildup of the tubes changes thickness as you go down as you go down the building, potentially. So you okay. might have built up columns at the bottom and you know, very thin walled tubes at the top. Okay, makes sense. That's the non structural engineer trying to talk structural stuff. 
No, that's perfect. I love both. We need both. So <laughs> the other question I have is you had said that the like the elevator cores are typically, you know, modular construction as well. What are they typically constructed of? Steel, exactly the same mod type. And then with a, you know, a fireproof chaff wall or something of the sort, depending on the system. But uh, it's all, you know, just fire safe. However, we can fire safe it. But no concrete. We don't use we try to eliminate as much wet work as possible. So concrete is included in that. And unless it's uh, specifically required for a generator or a, you know, a switch gear or something like that, we, we use our cementitious board on cold rolled you know, studs and that's our whole flooring system and the structural system is what we've been talking about. Okay, okay. So the next question I have is just division of scope. So who's responsible for what? And I think this ties into the design of things, but also into the construction of things. So, you know, structural engineer with the foundation side of things, and then with, you know, structural engineer of record for the whole building, kind of how that all ties together. And then on the construction side, who's actually installing it? You know, it kind of eliminates the trades on site, I guess, but is that a specific subcontractor to full stack or how that works so it's kind of like a two-sided question there <laughs> so let david start with the first question which is how the scope as it relates to structural design even perhaps mep design works and then i'll explain sort of how the contracting generally gets divided if there's already a structural engineer on the on the job with you know on the owner side and they remain on the project then they can be the engineer of record for the foundation systems and then with the full stack system you know since a lateral system is either the modules or is the as detailed you know as part of the overall modular system even if it's a separated brace site brace frame we found that it's easiest for you know us to basically be the superstructure engineer of record you know wherever that module you know, division starts, like with the horizontal level at which you start erecting mods, we'd be the structural engineer for, you know, for the, that portion and up and the base building engineer covers the foundation and, you know, and maybe the site built, you know, podium level if there's, if there's site built podium levels, you know, and alternatively, if, if an owner is, you know, going with modular from the start and doesn't have a design team on board already, then, you know, we can avoid some of those inter interfaces with multiple, you know, designers and just design the foundations too. Okay. Yeah, because then I would guess if there's two, then you have to give loads down at the podium level or at the foundation level to the foundation engineer. Whereas if it's all integrated into your own design team, then you're able to just communicate that more in-house with your own software, I would guess, right? Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of duplication of effort whenever there's two consultants, but we've we've successfully done that on a lot. And, you know, we have packages to show them what the support of the modules needs to look like so that it, you know, facilitates the design of the podium in a more linear fashion rather than starting with something and us reviewing it and saying, no, that doesn't work for the support and going back and forth. So we've we've worked quite successfully with, with multiple base building engineers to implement the system. We as a team are pretty agnostic about it. I mean, obviously, if you're just starting out, the idea of doing one team to do the whole thing is obviously more seamless than having multiple, but we've been pretty successful at doing it both ways. So we're pretty open to that. And then I think the second part of your question was, what's the story with the construction and the delineation of scope, et cetera. So, so full stack is a design manufacturer, you know, construct company, and we focus mostly on design manufacturer. Uh, so, so there's two options. One of them is, is if you're a developer and you have your own general contracting company, we can collaborate with you to build the whole building. And we will, we have a 
scope, both design and construct a scope matrix that we can, you know, review with you and uh, make you understand what it is that's happening on site. But the goal for full stack has always been to eliminate as much work as possible on site. It's seaming the building together, bringing the utilities to site, getting us something to sit on, elevator and final roof tying in the parapet. It's obviously a much longer scope, but that's that's the basic scope. Or we can provide a turnkey design build solution with the general contractor and you just, we'll send you the bills, you pay it, we'll get the building designed and built and don't worry about anything. And we're happy to do it both ways. The final one, I don't know why you would want to get involved if, if you don't have a predilection for torture, but uh, we're more than happy to do it all. But the stacking of the mods, our system, has built-in lifting lugs and a built-in connection system that creates the diaphragm that David spoke about. So installing them is pretty simple. You connect the lifting lugs, you bring them up, and David can talk about it, but we do have sort of an integrity provision built into into our system. But it, it is just a couple of people stacking the mods that have the lifting lugs, leave them in place, connect them together using our sort of proprietary connection system, which creates that diaphragm. And that's it. So it's pretty simple. You can stack just out of your like about stack about 6,500 square feet, you know, or 12 to 15 mods a day. So it's pretty quick. Okay. So is that with a typical tower crane then or, or putting a tower crane up on site and lifting and a crane yes it could be a tower crane could be a crawler crane depends on where you are and what's used you know like if you put up a three-story building in portland they put up a tower crane but in new york (laughs) above 23 they try to avoid it at all (laughs) so it really depends on what the you know what the but david can explain it but the system accommodates both you know we usually can get by with a crane with a you know with a lift capacity of 20 26 tons or something so that's a pretty heavy tower crane that gets the job done or a very light, you know, crawler crane. Okay. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but just maybe like the project procurement style. So this type of construction, does it lend itself to a certain type of construction process? So, you know, design, bid, build, design, build, like, is there a certain type of process that this works best for? It really only works effectively with design, a design-build process and really at inception. The reason being is, is that the architect definitely has a big role here, but, but the system needs to be incorporated into their design process. So there needs to be some sharing of their agency with the system. And so design-build is really the way to do it. Every system is slightly different at this point. We don't have, just like you have iOS and and all the other operating systems on computers, like the systems are different and they don't operate in the same space. So if you choose a modular builder or a product, then you need to incorporate it in the design process from day one. Sure. Makes sense. And so another question that I have that kind of ties into that a little bit is how can modular construction be adapted for site-specific conditions like really all around the world? So all of the different things that come up, wind, seismic, snow, all of these different things. I guess, how is that addressed with modular construction? Well, let's say, how is it addressed with full stacks modular system? Because that's a little broad. I'm going to tell you, you know, David will tell you what we've done so that our system is pretty easily adaptable. Okay, perfect. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, playing to Roger's prior point, that's ex- exactly the type of question that's that, that gets the design bid build kind of modular projects into trouble, right? Because each modular manufacturer approaches 
the different loading zones in a different way, right? And one modular manufacturer might say they want a concrete core and another says, no, 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 we do steel brace frames. And one might be welding their columns to get their modules together on site and the other is bolting them, right? And wall thicknesses are different thicknesses. So it's very hard to meet a preset architectural container box with, with all these different systems. But you know, the, the full stack system is actually a very flexible system. We've got typical details in terms of how the modules are made and, and how they're connected, but they're not like a typical module. We don't say that, you know, all our modules have to be 12 and a half feet wide by, you know, 27 and a half feet long. The system, you know, can, can shrink and grow to suit the program. You know, one of the benefits of, you know, the system is that it can also shrink and grow in height. You know, I talked earlier about the ability to utilize the modules to be its own lateral system in a non-seismic environment or in a low seismic environment. But then, you know, as we as we grow the height, we start to implement and, you know, separated brace frame system. Well, that brace frame system can be amended to suit the variety of loading conditions that it's going to see. So in a high seismic environment, we might utilize instead of a concentrically brace frame, we'd pick a system, a seismic system that, you know, has a that's that's applicable for a you know seismic design category D a high seismic site something like a you know a special non concentric brace frame or special concentric brace frame you know or utilize buckling restrain braces within that brace frame in order to you know meet the seismic performance that we need you know the diaphragm connections can can grow in order to take the increased diaphragm forces of of high seismicity you know and similarly in, in a in a non seismic scenario for a super high, you know, wind environment, we, you know, would have a different facade detail and the facades on Rogers full stack system are generally curtain wall panels. So, you know, just like you do on a normal building, you adjust the curtain wall panels design in order to meet the environmental conditions. And those curtain wall panels are hung in the factory. And, and that's really one of the benefits of the full stack system is, is that by making sure that all our connections are done from the roof of the modules, instead of the, you know, from the face of the modules, then we're able to get that curtain wall fully installed in the factory and and not have to access the structural connections through that curtain wall. So we basically can adjust the structural sizes of the brace frame or of the, you know, of the modules themselves to meet, you know, a wide variety of, of loading conditions. And similar things can be done for the insulation or the plumbing systems in order to meet, you know, local regulations. So, you know, we can have extra room in the riser for gray water or black water systems in California where there's water restrictions and and differences uh, compared to the, you know, to the plumbing requirements in New York City, for instance. So we basically have a system and a process for everything. And the good news is, is that we're well past start, you know, the day one when we see it. And then we obviously have to take into account all of those conditions, but our system has proven over and over again to be adaptable and flexible to meet the, you know, whatever forces are driving the, the, the structural design. Yeah. And one of the key things that I took away from that, just from that explanation, is that you're not tapped out by conventional construction, like at a certain like limit. So you can go into these high seismic zones because you're able to provide a different system that has a higher R value to resist higher forces and to have a more stable per se, or a, a higher and enhanced level of performance type of system that has that higher R value. So yeah, I think that's definitely an added benefit and really allows you guys to do the taller construction in those high seismic zones. Yeah. 
And I think it's worth, David could talk about it a little bit, but I think it's worth noting that the steel tube is basically 100% reshaped. You know, it's not a high energy product, right? It's a pretty, it's pretty low carbon. Uh, you know, you're basically warming up the steel and reshaping it. It's not blast furnaces or anything of the sort. So on a sustainable side, it is completely responsive. And yes, the systems can be adapted quite easily. One of the things that's always astounded me as I've been in construction for most of my life is that every time we start a new building, we pretend like we've never built a building before. It reminds me of some of those BC comics. Like I it's like it's just so so one thing that Fullstack and Arab have been able to do is we have a basic premise on the process by which we're going to create the building, its structure, you know, MEP distribution and finishes so that we can move that quite quickly along to, you know, sort of design, you know, ready for permit solution. We are trying to implement things we already know in a way that works for, for the conditions that exist. Sure, sure. Okay, if you could give a theme song to Full Stack Modular... What would that theme song be? I actually have two because we do two kind of things. So for full stack modulars system as it relates to other developers and architects and engineers, I would use Earth, Wind and Fire, Gotta Get You Into My Life. <laughs> and full stack is rapidly evolving into a design, manufacture, construct, develop solution. And specifically focused on uh, unattainable housing, and affordable housing because we think this is a great a great solution for that. So for that purpose, I have to choose a different song, which is Talking Heads, Don't Worry About the Government. <laughs> you should listen to this song because it's amazing on how built environment focused it is. But also we believe that we as, a, as an industry have to take more responsibility for finding ways to create attainable and affordable housing and can't rely specifically on handouts in order to do it. We have to find solutions. So those are our two things. Thanks. Love it. Love it. David, anything to add? No, I think Roger's got the, the music selections <laughs> down very well. I would I would just like to hear him either hum it or, or sing it. Uh, that'd be great. I've got to get my horn section and then I'm happy to do it. <laughs> okay. This one is a little more pie in the sky, but what is your dream for the built environment? Sure. I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I think one of the things that that we're certainly struggling with in the construction industry at the moment is 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 productivity and getting people back into trades and the one industry where productivity has has you know hasn't happened it hasn't gained we haven't seen productivity gains in the construction industry things just keep on getting more expensive and I think that you know as a working for a multidisciplinary firm I like to look back to the old days of kind of the master architect or the master builder who you know, who has their hands in, in all of it, right? And the, the the design of things is wrapped up into the way that things are constructed and it considers the way that things are constructed, you know, so it's very holistic thinking and utilizing like the latest digital tools and, you know, ideally eventually some robotics and, and automated methods of construction. I'd like to think that prefabricated volumetric modular construction you know, enables that investment to happen, you know, in a, in a single factory location quite effectively such that, you know, that we're taking, you know, kind of integrated design into the volumetric modular systems, which ties directly into, you know, digital fabrication, prefabricated components that really minimize kind of the disruption and, and time that's needed on site in order to drive down the cost of construction and increase productivity. 
hopefully to achieve social goods in a way that you know minimizes carbon impact on the environment and drives affordability for for housing and and construction in in our urban environments that's why i'm keen on modular construction and and i'm sticking to the dream i'll do the developer side analysis which is not at all a disagreement but sort of a phrased in a different way which is if I look to the future, I would like to see a way for a company like Full Stack Modular to provide design, manufacture, operation solutions that could be distributed worldwide so that they could utilize this system all over the world in order to create, because the housing needs are desperate everywhere. And I don't know that Full Stack has the capacity to open 356 factories, but we could provide support for a bunch of them. And if we look to the future, that's that's how we see accomplishing what David sees as, I think, our responsibility. It's beyond sort of our wish. It's our responsibility. So. Yeah. And I think we've we've seen like sometimes there's a need for something, for some sort of infrastructure, and that need is immediate. But as designers and developers, we have to say, hey, I see this need that's immediate, but I can't get anything to you for two and a half to three years, right? Like being able to react and provide something in half that amount of time is huge when there's all of these immediate needs. So I love how both of you guys phrase that. And I think that's so important and so necessary too. Okay, so I have to ask you this question because the eight-year-old Lego person inside of me <laughs> is dying to know this. And that might be all it is, is maybe a childish look into this. But are you able to take pieces apart and reconfigure spaces? <laughs> uh, such a cool idea. And I am looking for this the opportunity to really dig deep into that because we do believe our system should easily accommodate, if if planned for, should easily accommodate uh, removal, reconfiguration, even uh, imagine hotel updates where you took the rooms out and replaced them with rooms and recycled them. All those things in our system are possible. And when somebody's ready for us to do 15 of them, we're ready to do it. Let's have hotels that can go to any Olympics that happen and then we'll move them to the next country and then not have to leave all that infrastructure unless the country wants it. So anyway, for example. Yes, that's cool. Yeah, I think modular construction and especially, you know, the the fact that, you know, we don't weld these modules together, they're bolted together. It's very deconstructible. And I think it's really conducive to circular economy principles. The critical missing part is really the marketplace. Yeah, love it. That's awesome. But it's it's there from a technological, you know, feasibility standpoint. You know, you still have the sunk cost of the foundations and the podiums. So, you know, maybe it's better to do do these on slab on grades for the deconstructed systems, but but yeah, it's all it's all there. Yes. Or on a floating barge. Yes. Yeah. Then then you don't even need to deconstruct it. <laughs> yes, just move it. <laughs> just float it down the river. Just move the hotel to whatever port you want it. Yes. So listeners out there that are needing or that have needs that change locations, <laughs> listen in, right? Like this is the perfect opportunity. Okay. So when you're not like solving the world's problems as far as constructability and time frame, what do you do to recharge or maybe to fuel that other side of your brain and just kind of give yourself an opportunity to rest and recharge? What do you guys do for that? I just really like to get outside, right? So I've got two two young kids. So getting outside, going to the beach, going surfing, getting out, 
skiing or hiking, fishing, taking my kids camping, anything that's that's out of the office and outside kind of fills me up. And my avocation is uh, several things. Uh, like David, I like to get outside and mountain bike and uh, paddleboard and the like. And I am also an avid cook. So I am hopefully in the next couple of weeks, my kitchen will be done at my house and I can start cooking again. <laughs> I'm anchoring to be able to get back into the kitchen. So. Love it. That's awesome. Sounds great. So, well, thank you, Roger and David, so much for being here today. It was so interesting to learn more about Full Stack Modular and really just this construction type in general, too. I feel like I learned so much. I feel like our listeners probably learned so much. So thank you for sharing the technical and the logistics side of this. I think it was a great opportunity to have both of you on the show today. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Terry, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.